you would, turn in the Bible to Romans chapter 6. It's been a long time since I've preached from Romans chapter 6, but we've been there three times this weekend. Friday night, we were at Romans 6.23. This morning, outside for the sunrise service, we were at Romans 6.23. And now this morning, we're going to look at the first several verses of Romans chapter 6. Happy Easter to you all. Christ is alive. He did die, but he rose again and he lives forever, which means there is the definitive answer to sin in our lives and sin in the world. May that be very real to us. And may the word of God today help us to understand it. When I was in college, I was invited into reading biographies. That was new to me. I don't recall that I had ever read a biography before my college years. I don't know what I did during my high school time, but it was not reading biographies. But in college, I got introduced to some of those. And it's really fascinating to observe and learn and read why people are the way they are. And it is true that there are many, many, many influence and factors in our lives that make us the way we are. How you're raised, type of school you go to, the friends you run around with, what your parents are like, whether you have things or don't have things, whether you're educated or not educated, all of those factors are very real. We must acknowledge that. Those things impact who we are and what we're like. Let's not deny that. But that's not the only factor. God being a very present help in our lives is also another factor. And when the Bible testifies to the fact that God saves people and God raises the dead spiritually and God gives out new hearts and new life, that is also a very real factor. It is true that God changes people And as I have read biographies now over the years, I'm currently reading another one that I'm already really, 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 really liking. And as I'm reading this, I am seeing and being reminded yet again that God does change people. And just because you and I know handfuls of people that say they're Christians and they've not changed does not mean that God does not change people. It might mean God hadn't changed them, But it doesn't mean that God hasn't changed some people. There might be a lot of false professors out there. There might be a lot of lost people saying that they're saved. But that does not discount the fact that God does and has changed some people. You know some people that have been changed out. Easter is about that very thing. It's about God changing people and the very source of the power is the living Christ. Now what we're doing here this Easter Sunday morning is what Christians do every Sunday. We celebrate the fact that Jesus lives. We worship him because he died and he rose again and lives forevermore. We worship the living Jesus. Here today we're gonna study Romans chapter six, a really heavy passage on the power of the resurrection being the change in the life of a believer. Read with me, if you will, from Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This Romans chapter six finds itself in the middle of what many people have called the greatest written work there is in theology. The book of Romans is longer than most letters in the New Testament. It's deeper, it's more thorough than most letters in the New Testament. This is a rich, rich work. And Paul, especially in the first nine chapters and the first 11 chapters, Paul is writing out here this big detailed explanation of the world and the way it is and what sin really is and how people get to know God. It's, it's beautiful. It's a little thick at times, but it's good. And when we get to chapter six, as we just read, we see him getting deeper into this sin present in our lives and the way God actually deals with it to make us changed people. He summarizes this section, chapter six, with verse 23, when he says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a great verse. That's one of the verses that people memorize really early on when they start to memorize scripture. Many people know Romans 6, 23, and it lays out for us that apart from God and his love and his grace and his working in our lives, the result of any life lived regardless of how good we are or regardless of how not good we are, the result of any and every life lived is that the wages of our sins, whether you say you got few sins or whether you say you got a lot of sins, regardless, the wages of our sins is death. Anybody that lives and has sinned will die. Die spiritually and ultimately die physically. He's summarizing this section by pointing that out. But he immediately follows it up by saying, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And the the true reality of anybody anywhere, right now, there are more people on earth today than there has ever been on earth at one time before. We have now topped eight billion people. That's so many. That's a lot of people. Eight billion. 
And the Bible beautifully says that any of them anywhere that will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That Christ dying on the cross offered up himself so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And we rejoice to know, and I appreciated Pastor Matt's prayer just a few minutes ago, we rejoice to know that right now in so many places in the world and increasingly in more places in the world, that hope of salvation, that good news is is being told. Pastor Josh Womble just got back last week from South America where he met with 50 different pastors and church leaders about wanting to grow in what the Bible teaches. And he spent a whole week teaching them, right? We've got a family in our church right now that is about to be sent off to Asia so that they can start working there because there are churches there where they want to grow in the understanding of the Bible. We know people on every part, in every part of the world where it is being preached that Jesus came in the world to save sinners. And if that message is told that he died for the sins of the world and that he rose again and he's conquered sin and death and that there's victory in him and whoever believes in him will be saved. What a beautiful message that is. It is true in a beautiful summary that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is true. Romans 6.23 is a beautiful summary. But without further detail and teaching and explanation, the message can kind of become weakened. We know that. We live that. We see that. We observe that. Weakened by a lack of growth and a lack of discipleship and a lack of further understanding of what the Bible teaches. When Jesus was leaving earth and he left us with the Great Commission, in that he emphasized that everybody that becomes a follower of Christ is to be taught everything that he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so it's critical to understand if there is free grace and free gift and eternal life given out by God, the gift giver, the savior, the the, the author of salvation, if that is available, how does he do that? What does it look like for God to save somebody and change somebody and create his work in the world? That's what this is about in Romans chapter six. I wanna make three points this morning For you kids that have the listening page following along, uh, these will help you. Number one is sin. Absolutely not. That's our first point. Our second point is living freely. Absolutely yes. And the third and final point this morning is the resurrection. Absolutely how and why. And we will see all of this right here from Romans chapter 6. Sin, absolutely not. Living freely, absolutely yes. And thirdly, the resurrection, absolutely how and why. Look at the beginning of Romans chapter 6. He begins this chapter with a question. What shall we say then? Or two questions. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This is what I mean by weakening or cheapening the the message. If it is true that Jesus Christ died to forgive all sins and you keep sinning, he'll keep forgiving you. If that's true, then it could be concluded 
that let's get out of here. We can just sin all that we want to and that that's okay and God just forgives because that side of it is true. And so sometimes people get that way. If you're not thinking rightly about this, okay, then, you, then, then, then the Christian gets upset about it and says, no, 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 and that's where he's about to go. But for the believer, this becomes such a powerful message. Because the reason why this question comes up is because in chapter five, he has just explained so deeply, yes, Christ died for all sins. And whoever believes in him will be forgiven of all their sins. That is true, church. If you came in here today with a guilty conscience, he can forgive it. If you came in here today down on yourself because you're not as much of a person as you wish you could be, he can forgive it. If you came in here today angry and frustrated at the people around you, he can forgive it. He forgives sins, big ones, small ones, secret ones, open ones, ones that you're still struggling to confess, ones that you're trying to dismiss, it's not that big of a deal. He can forgive those sins. And the reason why this question comes up in chapter six is because that's our message. Jesus was holy and he died for the sins of the world. God will forgive anybody of anything. And when you start studying this in the New Testament, it's masterful. I mean, it is ma murderers are just forgiven of their sins. Abusers are forgiven of their sins. The arrogant are forgiven of their sins. The adulterers are forgiven of their sins. It's beautiful. The grace of God is bigger than anybody can sin. He forgives people of their sins. And as you preach that message over and over and over again, there's a chance that somebody just gets up out of here, that's all they've heard, and they walk out of here and say, man, a preacher just said that God will forgive everything. He just read it there in Romans chapter five. I can go sin all I want to because he'll forgive it. There's a chance that some people conclude that, right? You might be thinking that. You may reason that with yourself every time you just get off the right track. You may make excuses for your sins instead of, repenting of your sins. And so he addresses that with the question in chapter six. Can we continue in sin because God will keep giving grace? And in verse two, he answers it with the most emphatic answer that we have in the New Testament. It's a loud and clear, heck no. It is absolutely not by no means. Well, why? Why is it, if God has more grace and God forgives sins, why is it that we don't continue in sin or we can't even continue in sin? Well, it's because of the way that God saves people. It's because of the way that God changes people. And that's what's so critical here. Look what he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The way the Bible describes change and salvation and somebody coming to know Christ and you becoming a Christian or having life turned around or, 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 or asking God for forgiveness, the way that God does that, listen to me, if you've not heard this before, we need to teach more and more, is the way that God does it is he does a work on the inside of you where he changes you spiritually on the inside. That's what he does. 
He says your heart is dead to God like a heart of stone. You've got a conscience. Don't get me wrong. Every human being has a conscience. And so there's times where we're in line with God and there's times where we're out of line with God. There's times where we have a guilty conscience and we can recognize that that God's morality is working, right? Everybody has that. But it's not enough to change us. It's a moral compass where we think, that's not right, okay? Everybody has that. But it's not enough to change us. What God does when he saves somebody is he changes them on the inside by uniting them with Christ. Hear that word. He unites them with Christ. And so they are united with Jesus in his death. When you come to believe, when you come to confess that Jesus is Lord and you say, I, I want to start living for God. I, I want to I I be forgiven. And you trust in Christ. The Bible says that in that moment, you are being united with Christ in his death. That when he died for sins, you also died for your sins or died to your sins. There's a union with Christ. And so if you have died to your sins with Christ, The answer would be, a rhetorical question would be, why do you want to keep sinning? Why do you want to keep doing something that God doesn't like? Why do you want to keep doing something that killed Christ? Why do you want to keep doing something that caused Jesus to be offered up as the sacrifice for the sins of the world? And so the answer to that is, I I don't, absolutely not. Now, obviously, life is still a struggle, and this is not our home, and we're not to heaven yet, and we're still in the flesh, and there's temptation all around us, and this isn't easy. It's much easier said than done. Obviously, all of that. But fundamentally, deep down on the inside is a changed person that has died to sin. And so the answer becomes absolutely not. Schreiner, in his comment, Tom Schreiner, in his commentary on the book of Romans, says this about Romans 6. Grace does not simply involve forgiveness of sins. He says, grace also involves, listen to this phrase, a transfer of lordship. You need to hear that. You need to understand that in salvation. If God has poured his grace into your heart, that's another phrase that the Bible uses for when he saves somebody. If God has poured his grace into your heart, meaning, man, I've just come to realize that God loves me. He sent Jesus to die for me. I'm convicted of my sins and I want him to forgive me. If God has poured his grace into your heart, It's not just that he forgives you. It's that there has been a transfer of lordship in your life. Something else used to be Lord. Maybe it was you, maybe it was family, maybe it was hometown, maybe it was good old boy, maybe it was this, maybe it was that, maybe it was applause, maybe it was pats on the back, maybe it was everybody else is the problem, it's not me. Maybe something else was Lord in your life, but if God has done that work in your life, he has transferred you to with the new heart, now you think he's Lord. And what he values, I value. What he says is not valuable, I don't value anymore. What he says is honorable, I now think is honorable. What he says is dishonorable, I now think is dishonorable. He has changed my devotion and my allegiance. This this has happened in us. And so when the question comes up, oh, can we just keep on sinning? He comes back and he says, by no means, absolutely not. How can somebody dead to sin want to keep on sinning? And they're dead to sin because of what Christ has done. Schreiner goes on to say, so that believers are no longer under the tyranny of sin. There's been a transfer of lordship. Sin now is not what weighs on us. It's not what reigns over us. It's not the most dominant influence in our lives. Jesus and his grace is. So the question that comes up here as we're getting to Romans 6, 23 at the end of this chapter is, well, can we just keep on sinning knowing that he forgives and knowing that he has that much grace? 
And the answer is absolutely not. Church, Christians are people fundamentally, ideally, ideologically, with our, identif- with our identity, who think sin is bad because God is against it. He tells us that it's not good for us. He tells us that it does not honor him and worship him and glorify him. He tells us that it will be bad for us. It's bad for our society. Not in the ways that we observe it, like, let's see if it's bad. It doesn't really hurt anybody. It doesn't affect anybody. It's not hurting them. It's only hurting me. Well, I think it's good. You know, I don't see anything wrong. with Not any of that, but what God says. And if God is God, our Father in heaven, our creator, and our Lord, then what he says is infinitely more valuable than what we say. And he tells us that it's wrong. He tells us that it's not good for us. He tells us that we need to watch out for it. We need to turn away from it. Christians, we need to be reminded, maybe we need to recover that sin is sin and God's not for it. And if we are identifying ourselves with God, and Christ is at work in our lives, our answer should be affirmative, should be strong, should be like this, by no means, absolutely not. You know what we need more of in our churches? You know what we need more of in our homes? You know what we need more of in our society? Christians who hate their own sins. We need more of that. You know what we don't need so much? It's Christians that are hating everybody else's sins. Church, can we wake up to that? We need Christians who hate their own sins first. We need real faith, people who walk with God, people that believe God, trust God, and therefore are hating the sins that killed their Lord on the cross. We certainly don't need more people hating the sins in other people's lives more than their own. Don't hear me, don't hear me today as, as, as saying that we're not to hold each other accountable, we're not to call out sin where it's sin. We're all for that. We do that in the right way. My point is, is that one comes first more than the other, and we can never get those out of line. It does p- become such an inaccurate an unhealthy representation of the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity, his Christianity, when we are an arrogant and judgmental people. We need to be reminded of the words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter seven. It may have been a while since you've read these very verses. Let me read this to you. These are out of the words of Jesus himself, Matthew seven. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see, listen to this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. You know who was the first person that we're aware of, that called people hypocrites? Jesus. That's Jesus they're talking. He says, you hypocrite, when you're more concerned about their sins than your own sins. Christianity teaches us to take a big, long look in the mirror. And with our identity in the risen Christ, who just suffered and died on the cross, to say, God, Forgive me.
God have mercy on me. He goes on, he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then, and then, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Church, the message in Romans chapter six is that we are a people against sin. Christ died for it. And if we dare claim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then that means we too, united with him, have also died to sin. We don't make excuses for sin, we repent of sin. We are to hate our sins. We are to be people who understand God loves us, he knows what to do with our lives, He wants our lives to be filled with joy and peace and his love and his abundant life. And so sin is now pushing us away from those things. So we must understand it killed Christ and it will be killing us. The Puritan John Owen said, you either be killing sin or it will be killing you. We are a people who feel that sin is wrong and we want to turn away from it. When we hold up, Jesus saves. Jesus changes lives. And the question becomes, is sin okay? Can we keep sinning? He'll just forgive me? We need to hear today that the answer is a loud, strong, absolutely not, by all means. I want to read this neat little section here from John Piper on sin. He says, sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. Sinning, or sins, actions that are called sins, are any thought, feeling, speech, action that come like fruit, a branch, or a shoot out of the root of the heart that prefers anything to God. Listen to it this way. It is the glory of God not honored. It is the holiness of God not reverenced. It is the greatness of God not admired. It is the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the promises of God not believed, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. Christians are to be people without any hesitation who hate sin. And when the Bible teaches us here, does that mean we can keep on sinning? It gives a huge answer, absolutely not, by no means. But that's not all of our message. We don't stop there. We don't end our message with that and preach this message that sounds or is often received as simply a moral imperative or simply a uh, a pep talk to go and do better. It goes on quickly. And so our second point this morning is living freely, absolutely yes. May the message of the church and the message of the pastor and the message of the Bible never, and I mean never, be one that is simply stop sinning. Church, do you hear me on that? May it never be our message that we are just saying stop sinning, that sin is bad. May it never be that. 
because the Bible says so much more. It doesn't just tell us what's wrong. It tells us what's right. It just doesn't tell us what not to do. It leads us gladly and joyfully in what to do. Living freely, absolutely, yes. Look at verse four. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, okay, in order that, everybody see that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, look at this, we too might walk in newness of life. See, this is the life change that God does. When he really changes somebody, he causes them to be united in the death that Christ died, and he causes them to be united in the eternal life that Christ now lives victorious over sin and death. We often say that there are three rough things about all of our lives. You came in here today a believer or an unbeliever. You came in here today skeptical or or totally trusting. You came in here today burdened deep down, or you came in here today free as a bird, right? No matter who you are, all three of us have the same struggles. That's sin, death, and the devil. The devil's trying to tear us up. Sin is a constant battle, and death is is coming for us, all of us. And when God raised Jesus from the dead in the victorious resurrection, sin had been dealt with and overcome, death had been dealt with and overcome, and the devil had been dealt with and overcome. And the Bible says that when we are united with Christ, we are united with him in a death like his, and we are united with him in a life like his. And it says here that he would be empowering us to walk in newness of life. Look at verse five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Look at verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. But look at this next line. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When Christ came out of the grave, sin in all of its power had been overcome. So that whoever believes in him doesn't just get forgiven, they get life change, heart change. They get the resurrection power working inside of them, causing them now to feel differently, fundamentally differently, empowered differently, to no longer walk in sin. It's been broken. It's been overcome by what Christ has done. Look what it says in verse seven. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Does everybody see that? <clears throat> For somebody that has died to their sins, meaning trusted in Christ in a death like his, that person has been set free from sin. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the good news that coming to believe in him as your Lord and Savior is a transfer of lordship. It's a heart change on the inside to where now you feel differently. You think differently about your sins. It's the union of Christ that we are united with him in death and in life. This is the life-changing, saving work that he does in people. Now, I want to show you how redundant this idea is throughout all of this. It's the key. It's not that forgiveness of sins is the key. It's the union with Christ that is the key, meaning the power that he is working in us. Let me show you. In verse 4, he says, we were buried, therefore, 
with him. Does everybody see that word, with him? All right, look at verse five. We have been united with him. Does everybody see that, united with him? Later in verse verse five, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's already three of those with hims. Look at verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Look over to verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Does everybody see that? His thinking here on our sin problem and what God's doing in us is this incredible union. Well, the question comes up then, okay, well, where, where does that happen or when does that happen? It happens when the person truly surrenders. It's when you feel conviction of your sins and you on the inside, spiritually, like who you are, breaks down and bows your heart and mind and maybe physically, posturally, your knee and says, God, have mercy upon me, forgive me. I believe that you, you are who you are and I believe that you did what you did for me. And God, I turn to you now and I see that what Christ did on the cross, he did for me. And I see that the Bible teaches and I understand I am united with you in dying for sin and I am united with you in living over overcoming sin that it is now the work of Jesus being real in our lives. This is what the Bible teaches. We need to understand it like this. When God goes to work on someone, He changes them. He changes their heart and their life. He makes them a new person on the inside. Now, don't get me wrong. We all know that when God makes us a new person on the inside, sometimes it takes a minute for for the outside to catch up. We understand that. Old habits die hard, right? Sometimes it's a change just like that on the outside. Sometimes it's a little bit more of a work in progress. The Bible also gives us confidence that, that God will finish the work in progress that we are. But it makes crystal clear that that work that he is doing on the inside is a real change. Who we are feels different. This past week was spring break. We got to go back to North Carolina to visit my parents. We hadn't seen them in a while. My mom kept reminding us, man, y'all haven't been here in a long time, but we had a good time getting to see them. It was good. And one of the things that we did, me and Val did, is we, we went back to my high school. I don't know how long it's been there since I've been there. I graduated in 98. That's 25 years ago that I graduated high school. And I went back there, and my high school coach is, was coaching a baseball game that night. And we went there, and we got to see him. And after the game, we walked out on the field, and I got a picture with him, and I talked to him. And the question came up, because he's been quote, coaching for a long time. The question came up, is he still as mean of a coach as he used to be? And coaches used to be rough, y'all. The question came up, and I brought that up to him. I haven't talked to him, y'all, in forever. Here's what he said. He said, Josh, I'm a believer now. He said, I didn't used to be a believer. He said, somewhere around 2005, God got a hold of me, and I came to know Jesus and I'm different now. I didn't even ask. I wasn't going to ask. I was just there to say, hey man, thanks so much for having an impact on my life. Val and I were going out to dinner. We didn't even stay long. He brought that up. Why would he bring that up? Because God is doing something inside of him. 
He's feeling that God has changed his heart and he thinks differently now about the sins in his life. This is what God does. We might know a lot of bad examples of Christians in the world, but may we know that the Bible teaches there are real examples in the world of God changing hearts and changing lives and identifying us with our sins being wrong and living freely for God being right. May Christians be the people who recognize God has set us free from our sins. Augustine, one of the heroes in church history from a long time ago, he has this special quote where he says, on talking about what do you do and decision making and all of that, he says, obey the revealed will of God, which is this book, and then he says, And then do whatever you want, knowing that your heart doesn't want to do things that God displeases. What a healthy quote. Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s tells the story that there was somebody in his church that just kept doubting their salvation and doubting their salvation. And they kept thinking, man, I'm not saved. I don't think I'm a Christian, man. I feel like I'm going to hell. I just just feel so burdened by this. And Spurgeon said, well, I tell you what. Why don't you take this weekend and go out and just live it up? Go do everything you really want to do. If you want to run off with women, go do it. You want to run off to the bar and get drunk, go do it. You want to go foul mouth and talk bad about all your enemies, go do it. You want to speak bad of everybody you know and everybody that's ugly and wrong and a hypocrite, go do it. You want to be a liar like what gets you so free, go do it. And then they departed. The guy showed back up at church on Sunday. And Spurgeon said, man, that was probably a wild weekend for you. How was it? He said, man, I couldn't do any of that. He said, I went home and reflected upon my life. I started trying to labor to do things that honored God. Spurgeon said, I think you're a little closer to being saved than you might give yourself credit for. His heart felt differently about things. He had been set free to live however he wants to with a heart that loves God. Romans 6 says this is what God is doing in the world, in people. The Apostle Paul, in his own little personal testimony type of way, in Galatians chapter two, would say it like this. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I am aware, he says, that God loves me and Jesus died for me. So now I live for him. I live for that. My heart is set on that. Christians are people that have a view and a stance on sin. God doesn't like it and therefore we don't either. But in our humility, may God make Christians humble, in our humility, we know that we do still sin. We still do things that hurt our family members. We still do things that offend people. And the answer to that from the new heart is to repent. It's not to cover it up. It's not to ignore it and hope they forget about it. If you've ever hurt somebody in the name of Christ, they have not forgotten about it. Do you understand that? 
If you've ever been rude or judgmental or harsh to somebody under your banner of churchy and holier than thou and better than them and Bible reader, if you've ever done that, they have not forgotten about it. Matter of fact, they're gonna take it to their grave that you, the person of God, is the sinful one. Church, we need to hear this. We need to know that God sets people free from sin, that you and I would have a proper response to it, meaning we don't like it. And so anytime and every time it shows up in our lives, we're not trying to blame them for why we're being ungodly. We're running back to our room to hit our knees and say, God, forgive me. How's my family gonna ever think that you love them if I don't, if I'm the one pointing the finger, if I'm the hypocrite. So the proper response to sin is absolutely not. And then when he changes our heart, it is live freely, absolutely, yes. Well, finally, what does this have to do with the resurrection? It's Easter Sunday. I need to be talking about the resurrected Christ that he lives. And so let me show you here in Closing. Look back to verse four. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. Does everybody see that? That's the resurrection. Jesus being raised from the dead is the resurrection. It's what Sundays are for every single Sunday, it's what Easter Sunday is for that Jesus is alive that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Look at verse five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, look at this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Everybody see that? It's the very word. Some people say happy Easter. Some people say happy resurrection day. There's our word resurrection like his. Look down to verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. The question on this third and final point is how and why does anybody ever come to live saying sin, absolutely not. Live freely, absolutely yes. The answer becomes when the resurrection of Christ, that he died for sin and now he lives, becomes a power working in us. That it's not the influence of church or the influence of good parenting or the influence of good society or good friends or good education. It's not that that determines how moral we are, although those things can be beneficial. We're all trying to do the best we can and make the best decisions we can, hopefully. But it is so much more than that. It is true that some 2,000 years ago, on a hill, Christ was nailed to a cross. Three nails, one in his hand here, one in his hand here, and one through his legs. And he hung there and bled and died because of all of our sins. He did. It's real. It's history. It's fact. He died. 
And they took him down off that cross and they buried him. And for three days, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, everybody seemed down and out. But when they went back to the tomb that early Sunday morning and it was empty, God lit the fire that Jesus is King, Lord and Savior, and whoever believes in him will not perish. If you will trust in Christ and believe fully in him and surrender everything, that resurrection power will start changing you from the inside out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, for the resurrection of Christ. He is not dead. He lives forever. God, we pray that you would cause us to be a people experiencing that. God, we pray that you would make us a people who will see and believe that sin is bad for them, bad for us, and that we would be most bothered by it in ourselves. But upon having this conviction and brokenness and repentance, there would be a humility about us that wants to go and live freely for you. Father, we thank you that the resurrection gives us an answer to how you change people, the resurrection of power working in us. Father, work in our hearts. Cause us, God, to feel conviction for our sins and to trust in Christ. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.